Welcome to AdultBibleStories.com, a vicarious God and his vicarious people. My name is Jeff and I have a story to tell. We're doing a hop, skip, and jump throughout the Bible so you may know where certain passages are. So if you ever wondered where this scripture was or that scripture, we're going to go over it so you can see if this is your first time throughout the Bible. I hope you stay in so we can hop, skip, and jump through and yeah, you may have a hunger and thirst for the Word of God. We're going to start today in 2 Thessalonians, so let's begin. Starts out with Paul and Silas and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, to God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So it starts off those three. But let's just hop, skip, and jump. I like certain phrases to pull out. We're not doing a verse by verse or word by word, but certain phrases I kind of like just to bring up to the top and think about those and talk about those. So uh, verse 3 goes, We ought to always thank God for you, brothers. And that's something we always ought to be doing in prayer. We always be thanking God for the people that God has placed in our life. And, 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 and even the people that maybe that God hasn't placed in our life, we at least need to thank God that you know, has given an opportunity to love the unlovable. You know, you never really know how, how, to learn, know how to love somebody if they're just easy to love. Anyway, we ought to always thank God for people in our lives. So that's something we always, no matter what we're praying about. And it goes on to say uh, at the end of verse 3, it says, The love of every one of you uh, is, is ever increasing. So if you've been a Christian very long, is your love increasing? Are you loving, are you loving people better? Are you able to endure more of uh, people's uh, shenanigans, I guess? Or, you know, people's uh, short points, uh, their, their failures? Are you able to love people better today than you were yesterday? Our love should be increasing ever more with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's hop, skip, and jump down to uh, the end of verse 5. It talks about counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Here's a phrase I want to pull out here. And it's in the Bible several places, even in this scripture, or even in this book, 2 Thessalonians, seventh place. Are you counted worthy of the kingdom of God? You know, we're counted worthy of I know, heaven, or counted worthy of Jesus Christ by what he did and us receiving it. And if we don't receive it, then you're not counted worthy. In fact, I think Jesus at one time said, it says, you don't think you're worthy of, of eternal life because you don't receive me. So the way to be found counted worthy of the kingdom of God, worthy of Jesus Christ, is believing in that. Believing that what God has said is true. Believing that God loves you. That believing that Jesus came and died for, you know, to die to take away our sins and receiving him. And, and then living a life that... That showcases that Jesus is de indeed Lord of our life, that he indeed directs our life, you know, and is the center of our life and, and so forth. So we got to be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And it says there is evidence of that. It says all this is evidence that God's judgment is right as, as a result. You will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And he's talking about those people going through trials and tribulations, but their faithfulness to God is, is outshining of everything they're going through. Their love for God is outshining. Their love is ever increasing. So it shows that the, you know, the, shows the judgment of God. The judgment of God is not always a negative thing. The judgment of God, any judgment can be good or bad. In fact, every time a judge makes a judge, it's usually good for somebody, one person, but bad for another person. If we take it in a, an idea of either civil law, lawsuits or, or even criminal lawsuits. But here is saying it's a good thing because even though you have trials and tribulations, that your love is still increasing, your faithfulness to God is still increasing, which is a judgment of God that God is saying, here have more love, here have more faithfulness, here have, and so forth. Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse eight and Second Thessalonians chapter one. It says, "He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus." So there's another phrase I like to pull out, you know, in our living in our increasing secular socialists, you know, 
uh, society, you know, in a place where a lot of preachers are getting, you know, less and less bold and less and less courageous. And so they want to tickle people's ears. They don't talk about the punishment of those who do not, who do not know God, you know, and, and, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's two things there. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our or, or Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I used to minister on the street, uh, we'd take out sack lunches on a Friday night, and we go out and minister to those, you know, either homeless or, you know, uh, um, gang members or prostitutes or whoever. And, of course, I always started out with, do they know Jesus? And the answer most of the time was yes. And you could tell a lot of times that, you know, the answer just didn't fit well. So I began asking a different question when I after I read that, you know, there's many people stand before Jesus and say, they'll say, Lord, Lord, let us in. And Jesus says, I do not know you. you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And so I begin asking people, does Jesus know you? And that would kind of give them a, a you know, a gulp or a stopping place thinking about, wait, this is, you know, how do I answer this one? Because to be in a relationship and that's where you are, you know, Christianity is not, a, you know, religion, but a relationship You've got to know one another. Not only do we need to know God, but God needs to know us. And God doesn't, you know, God knew us from our mother's womb, but Jesus is at the door and we need to allow Jesus. The only way you can really know somebody is their highs and their lows, their weaknesses and their strengths. And so we need to be able to go to God and say that we're sinners. We need to go to God and say we've fallen short of the glory of God. We need to go to God and say we missed it so that he, that he can know us the way he wants to know us and, and strengthen us. And, and so forth. So we got to know God and obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is obey the gospel, which means love God of our heart, so mind, strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It means to love our even a higher level of love. That is, is to love our brothers just as Jesus has loved us. And of course, Jesus loved us by laying down his own life. You know, Jesus loved your life. Jesus loved my life more than his own, or he would have never laid down his life. He would have never surrendered his life, given up his life so that we could be saved. So let's hop, skip, and jump. Uh, well, I guess we're not hop, skip, and jump. We're just going to the next verse, uh, uh, verse 9. It says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. So if you ever wanted to know where there's a place where hell is everlasting, uh, it's right here. They'll be punished for everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of God. So there's no presence of God. And you might be saying, well, there's a, isn't there a psalm where it says, even, the, in the, even at the gates of hell, you know, God, your presence doesn't leave me? We're talking about for eternity. We're talking about people who do not want in the presence of God. You know, hell wasn't created for mankind. Hell was created for Satan and, and all those who followed him, his angels. But we we as men and women, you know, as, as made in the image and likeness of God, we've given free agency to choose which God we want to serve. Choose this day which God used to serve. We want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who do not want God, those who do not want his 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 presence, but only his presence, you know, then there's then there's a place for you. God is not a, a dictator. God is not going to demand obedience from you. We have to choose to love him. We have to choose to receive him. We have to choose to follow him. And so if we don't want his presence. We don't want to be around him or his kind, which is Christians, those who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, who those who, you know, uh, want God's presence, wants God's ways, who seek God for his ways, who seek God for his lordship, his kingship, and so forth. Because Jesus one day will return as Lord and Lord and King of Kings. And it needs to be Lord and Lord and King of Kings in our own life right here and right now. 
but there's a place for everlasting destruction. You know, there's a, there's a teaching that's propping up more and more of that hell, that there is a hell, but, but it's, you know, it's only self-lived because God's consuming fire. So therefore, if we go to hell, then we're just going to be consumed and, and, and no longer be. But that's not true. It says everlasting destruction begins continue because you got to understand eternity, you know, is, or I'm going to put it this way. I'm, uh, time is, is, is a segment of eternity. God is an eternity. He created this thing called time. Time has a beginning. Time has a as an end. Time has a start. Time has a, you know, a stop. But there is an eternity where there is no time. So there is no past in a time. If no past in a time, there is no days. There is no hours. There's no, you know, getting off for good behavior and so forth. Time ceases, but time continues. Time is linear, but eternity is not linear. And so, so in hell, there is no passing in time. And therefore, there's no passing in time. There is no complete consumption it's everlasting it's ever burning it's never complete it continues and continues and same thing for you know for those who enter eternal life you know we're everlasting we can never know destruction we can never know death we can never know darkness because we're with jesus christ forever and ever in eternity so we don't want everlasting destruction we don't want to be shut out from the presence of the lord so let's hop skip and jump down to verse 11 so with this in mind, we constantly pray for you and that our God may count you worthy of his calling. So once again, it's talking about our worthiness. Our worthiness is not in of ourselves. We can't save ourselves. There is no good thing in our flesh. There is no good thing in our flesh before we're saved. And there's no good thing in our flesh after we got saved. There's no good thing flesh, no matter how much of the word of God we know or how much we're, we're living the Christian life. There's still nothing good in our flesh. But in our spirit where God comes to reside, there is something good in there. But God makes us worthy. If we receive his worthiness, if we receive what he tells us. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. Are you, are you worthy of your calling? Maybe you got saved, but are you worthy of what God has called you to do for, for, the, for his family, for the kingdom of God, and so forth, whether you be in ministry or be in business or wherever God places you? Because, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. You know, you can even say that you know that for eternal life but that's even more so for our calling most people i don't think are going to you know fulfill their calling because we don't stay long enough to fulfill that calling you know it, it can be difficult at times so we constantly pray for you and that's what something we need to pray you know paul prayed all the time we constantly pray for you we always praying for you that not only did you get saved we don't we don't we'll just pray that you get saved and then leave you as a baby but we but we're supposed to continue to pray for one another so that we mature in christ so we can do the things of, a, of an of adult son of adult daughter of, of the most high god we constantly pray for you that our god may count you worthy of his calling and that his power he might be fulfilled every good purpose so we want God to fulfill every good purpose because our flesh cannot fulfill anything, anything good. And so we've got to rely on God. And that's the whole thing about being relying on God and trusting God is allow God to do work in us, you know, from the inside out rather than us trying to do the work from the outside in, trying to make things happen from our own fleshly ways, from our own physical ways, rather than let, rather than let the word of God permeate us from the inside and change us. Like Jesus says, if you've cleaned out, clean the inside of the cup, then the outside will be clean too. But who can clean up your heart? The scripture says, but God can clean up your heart. We are supposed to be washing with the word of God. When we wash the word of God, we're washing our spirit, our soul, our body, you know, and so, our, you know, all that becomes, all that becomes clean from the, from the soul area. Well, let's hop, skip, and jump to chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, if you ever wonder, we're talking about Jesus returning. 
it, it starts out here, it says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. Some people call that the rapture. Some people call it the ingathering and so forth. And we know the word rapture is not in the Bible, but there's a whole lot of words that are not in the Bible. It's just man's way of describing something. So don't get hung up on words. In fact, Paul says, you know, quit getting get the fights over words. Find out if the precept is true and, and so forth. Just don't get caught up in, in you know, in, 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 in wordplay and so forth. So we're hop, skipping and jump down to verse 3 of sec, uh, chapter 2. Don't let anyone deceive you, which means we can be deceived by people. In any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is, re is revealed. Talking about Jesus, you know, uh, either Jesus, you know, returning and so forth. So we can't be deceived. And it says until the rebellion occurs. Rebellion has already started. You know, Satan started a rebellion in heaven and says it took a third of the angels away. Well, Satan started another rebellion and it's a rebellion in the church and trying to get, you know, a good part of the church or all the church or how many people in the church you can get away from, um, you know, Christ. Those who receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. You know, he, he is trying to cause them, to, you know, to have a rebellion, a rebellion, if, if not to the point of losing their eternal life because they walked away from God and don't want God anymore. They made a choice to receive God. You can make a choice to no longer receive God. It's up to us. God is not a dictator, but he wants to create a, a, a rebellion. So whether you just create a re, you know, rebellion and repent or part of rebellion or, or so forth or or full out rebellion against God and I don't want God and, and so forth. Satan is behind this. It says, occurs the man of lawlessness revealed, talking about some people call him the Antichrist, you know, the, the, son, the son of perdition or, or so forth, of, of lawlessness. You know, we live in a society, you know, uh, at least here in, in the Western civilization or in America, that we're talking always about not being religious, and certainly we don't want to be religious. Those are legalistic. Those are trying to get to God through through outer means, through trying to obey certain rules. But if you break one rule, you've broken them all and so forth. And so we can't, you know, live religiously. We can't draw close to God by obeying a bunch of rules and not have a relationship, you know, through Jesus Christ. But on the other end of that, we can't live lawlessly either. We can't just disobey laws and say, you know, this is a relationship and, and there's no laws in relationship. That's not true. You made, you know, if you're married, you agree to certain things. And if you break those certain vows or certain laws, there is going to be repercussions. There is going to be consequences. And that may be a, a, a dissolving of that relationship, of that marriage. And so there are laws govern that. But if you're trying to always follow those laws, if you're keeping those laws, you know, you know, over your partner, over your your husband, you know, or over your wife, and so forth, then then it's just not going to be much of a relationship, not much of a marriage, because you're trying to lead by rules and laws, which don't work that way. But there are rules and laws that govern a marriage. There are rules and laws that govern in relationship. There are certain things that if people do to you, you're going to cut off the relationship. Now, God is long-suffering, very long-suffering, more long-suffering than we know, so he can go a long way with us, you know, disobeying certain things. But the, but the, the problem with sin is, is, is that sin deceives us, and we end up walking away and choosing a different Jesus and so forth. But I don't want to go into that right now. So let's do a hop and skip and jump down to, uh, we're staying in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, going down to verse 7. For that secret power of lawlessness is already at work. I wanted to pull that up, that phrase, secret power of lawlessness. What, what makes that power of lawlessness secret? And why is, why is our power of lawlessness? 
because there's one thing we do. We are free agents. We are vessels. You know, when God created us, he didn't give us any power. He didn't give us any wisdom. He didn't give us any light. Even the angel says, who is this man that you talk to and who you walk with? Because they couldn't understand that because God did create angels. He did create them with a certain amount of wisdom. He did create them a certain amount of light and then he zipped them up, you know, and, and gave them a certain amount of uh, so forth. But man, he just created as an open vessel. We are what we receive. We are what we receive from our society. We are what we receive from our parents. We are what we receive by what we think about, what we look at, what we hear. We are completely by what we receive. So, so, but so the secret power of lawlessness is, is once we make a decision, because that's the only thing we can do, is decide. I, I set before you life and death. Choose life. The only thing we can do is, is you know, make a decision. And once we make the decision, we are carried off by the power of that decision. There's a secret power of lawlessness. If we make the, a, a rebellious decision, we are carried off by that secret power. We're carried off to do those certain things, you know, for seasons. Sometimes that seasons may be a few minutes or seasons may be a few hours. Sometimes that seasons is a few years. Nebuchadnezzar was warned by Daniel, you know, not, uh, not to take self-glory, but to glorify the one true God of the heavens and the earth. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't. didn't learn so for seven years he had no thought of God whatsoever and he ate like an animal he behaved like an animal you know his fingernails grew out he lived in you know in the in the in the pastures you know not thinking of God at all until that season was up and then he was able to make a different decision and this time he came out and glorified God you know maybe if you've ever been on drugs and alcohol you you, you know that that there was a time he was trying to get out and next thing you know it's five years later six years later seven years later and you're going what happened to all this time because you have because you made a decision you were carried off by that secret power of lawlessness to continue in that until you had another place i like to think of it as is you know as, as one as one of my friends pastors talks about the the highway of holiness if you're on the highway of holiness and you get off on the wrong exit it may take you a while to get back onto the on-ramp to holiness you know, if you're especially out in the country or, you know, leaving the city, it may take you, you know, 10 miles before you can get back on the highway and so and so forth. So 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 you don't want to get off, uh, get off on that highway because you're carried off by secret power of lawlessness. And why is it secret? Why is it secret? Because those who are lawless, lawless don't even realize it half the time. Many times all of us have been there. All of us have, have had sin in our life. And we had no idea just how sinful or how rebellious it was. But there's but the secret power is not knowing that it's there. That's why it's a secret. So that's some that's some really good stuff. So let's hop, skip, and jump just down to we're staying in the, in the same. Well, let's read that whole whole verse there. But the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back, and this is a debate in the church about who holds it back. Is it is it talking about the Holy Spirit who's holding holding back the secret power of lawlessness, or is the church which is the bride of Christ? So it's talking about He here. So I kind of you know contend that it's the Holy Spirit and not and not the church but never nevertheless this is where this verse is found and when the lawless one will be real okay let's hop skip and jump uh, up to verse 10 of chapter 2 and and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved for this reason god sent them a powerful delusion so that they will receive or believe the lie now this this there's all oh, there's a whole lot to unpack here so let's start out it says deceives those who are perishing so if you're just like me god god how can i make sure that i'm not deceived well he only deceives those who are perishing so if you're dying 
If you feel like you're dying, if you're walking away from God ever so slowly and you're not growing from glory to glory, then you're perishing. If you're perishing, then you're being deceived. Now, there is talked about perishing where you you know receive eternal death, receive you know eternal damnation and so forth. But anytime you're not going towards Christ, you're going backwards. Anytime you're not pressing towards the light, you're being sucked back into you know lesser light or, or the darkness. So, so, so we should be growing. We should be, you know, increasing in life. You know, that talks about, in, I think in Proverbs, it talks about the, the righteous, the day gets brighter and brighter. Your day should get brighter and brighter. You should love God more and more. And if, and if we're losing any of that, if you, we've left our first love of God, then we start going backwards and we're perishing. And, and, and the more with that, the more we can be deceived. But if you're going towards God, going towards the light, you're not going to be deceived because even if you are deceived for a moment, the light's going to be turned on and you're going to see that deception. You're going to rebuke it and, 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 and walk away from it. But they deceive those who are perishing. So that's one way you can make sure you're not deceived is make sure that you're not dying a slow death, but living from going from glory to glory, having a greater hope today and a greater faith today, having a greater love for God today than you did the day before. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. They refuse to love the truth. I was uh, in a discussion with somebody not too long ago. Uh, who's he says I don't believe you know God I believe in science and and then he goes on to say I refuse to believe in Jesus Christ he refused it didn't say he didn't he didn't say I don't believe in this Jesus he said he refused so he so he the light was turned on at some point for him to see that Jesus is the, you know the way the truth and life and the only way to the Father but he refused to love the truths you know so to be saved. And that's how we, you know, that's how we start perishing is when God turns on a light for us in any area of our life and we don't like what we see. Because whenever God turns on the light, we see dirtiness, we see grime, we see things are out of order, we see things in chaos that we need to get in order. And sometimes it overwhelms us and we forget who we are in Christ. We forget who Jesus is and what he wants to do and accomplish in us and through us. And so we turn off the light. When we turn off the light, what are we left with? We're left with darkness. And so we cannot be saved in that area when we're left in darkness. But this scripture is even talking about people who are turning off the light, which is Jesus Christ, the, the, you know, the, uh, and so forth. But that can happen at any, any level. We can always, you know, we have blinds. We can, you know, uh, window blinds. We can shut out the light of God if we want. God's not going to force. Once again, God is not going to force himself on us. God is not a despot. We are, we, we are bought, you know, with a price. But he doesn't treat us like we're bought possession. He treats us as, you know, like we're the sons and, and daughters of God. He treats us and gives us an inheritance. But those are perish because they refuse to love the truth and, be, and so be saved. We got to love the truth. You know, there's many times that God shows me something. And I don't I don't start out loving it. I, I, I want to, you know, back away. I want to run. I want to turn off the light. And, and even when I go forward, you know, I don't always love what I'm doing. I don't always love the change. I don't always love the repentance. But because I love God, I go through it. At some point, I begin loving the truth. And if you love the truth, you end up hating sin. And that's, a, you know, a problem in our society that people say they love the truth, but they don't hate sin anymore. They tolerate sin like, you know, or some people don't even tolerate sin. It's just, you know, no big thing. I mean, tolerate sin, at least you have some level of, of I'm a hatred for it. And I'm not talking about tolerating sinners or, you know, hating sinners, but I'm talking about the sin. So we need to love God and hate the sin. And the only way that's going to happen is for us to love the truth, you know, and so to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion. Now that's, 
that's that's just a crazy scripture there god is going to send a powerful delusion why would god send a delusion god is the god of light god is the god of life god is the god who who does not lead us astray why well, call it kind of, kind of like you know putting the last nail in the coffin i guess so to speak because there's a lot of lies out there people already already believe and there's lies out there people already believe in when it comes to abortion when we got scientific ev evidence showing it that the, you know when a new life begins showing of, of, of a human being in in the womb and showing that it's not part of a woman's body but it's you know it's in the woman's body showing that there is life you know in that body but yet people still want to abort a baby still want to you know kill a baby which is which is murder rather in the womb or outside the womb and now we're gonna get to the point where you know you can kill outside the womb you know if it's within you know seconds and so forth of, of delivery and so if you're believing that if you're believing you have the right to kill a baby you know killing a baby after conception then you're you're already believing one lie and then if you want to believe this other lies out there that 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 god has created man after man and woman after woman and believing you know that you can love or that you can you know marry whoever you want to believe that's another lie that you're believing you're leaving the image and likeness of god you're leaving the image of marriage which is you know uh, Jesus, the the bridegroom, and and his and, and his bride, which is the you know the church. You're leaving that image of Adam and Eve. You know you're, you're believing another lie and, and socialism, believing in all all this kind of stuff. So if you're believing all these lies, what's one more lie? And of course, the ultimate lie is believing that there is you know there is no God, or believing that there is another way, or believing that there are many ways to God. All those are delusionals. The last the last nail into the coffin that's going to seal your fate for for an eternity separated from from the presence of God into eternal you know destruction and you don't want to go there because there is one way because god loves us all god loves us you know he god never created anybody he does you know he didn't love and now somebody's thinking what well, the scripture says that god hated esau no god hated his ways you know and and and, and how he turned out god didn't hate you know a person himself and, and so forth so let's go on to hop skip and jump down to uh we're staying in second the second chapter of second thessalonians we're going to the end of verse 13 another phrase to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through the belief in the truth so we are three-part being we are spirit soul and body whether you're saved or you're not saved we're spirit soul and body if you're not saved your spirit is a spirit that's separated from from the love of god separated from the knowledge of god separated from the eternal life of god and so forth and, and but if you're born again that you're given new life and, you know and your spirit is where god resides your spirit where is your new spirit that's in fellowship with god that can know god that fellowships of god so, and 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 so forth and then our soul is our mind will emotions and of course our physical body you know we are the temple of the holy spirit scripture talks about you know do not know, do you not know that you're the temple of the holy spirit now god used to have a temple in man, you know man-made and and you know look at the old testament was a temple and you know when jesus uh um, died on the cross it says the veil was torn from the top to bottom and so that temple made by man ceased to exist and god moved into the bodies of man moved into the you know this this the the moved into mankind to those who receive him but in the old testament there's the outer court there's the inner court aka holy place and then there's a most holy place and so forth but as spirit man our spirit is where the most holy place is and if you're born again that god resides in it. your brand new spirit resides in there and then you have that curtain that that, that one day will be torn but right now right now it can't be torn because if it was you you know your whole soul and body would burn up 
but then then our soul our mind will emotions are in the inner court or the most or the holy place the inner court of the holy place and then of course our body is the is the outer temple of god and so we are spirit soul and body and it says to be saved through the sanctifying so i like to say that we're saved which is our spirit if you're born again you're saved we're being saved which means the renewal of your mind thinking differently thinking the way god thinks renewing of your emotions you know renewing of of our wills you know doing what god says to do doing what's 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 best because god knows what's best and then eventually we'll get you know uh new bodies uh glorified bodies so we're saved our spirit being saved our soul and will be saved on that day when we get glorified bodies so to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit so we got to sanctify what sanctify means it means to be set apart you know god made god made man you know we, a lot of times when a baby is born we're calling them out calling them innocent and i believe they're innocent i don't you know i don't believe any baby goes to hell or, or you know i'm not quite sure what age of accountability is and you know maybe as young as 13 or maybe as as old as you know 20. I can I can you know pull up scriptures that can you know that reference all those areas, you know when when whenever somebody has the ability to make a, a a comprehensive decision either to sin or to not to sin. But nevertheless, we are sanctified, set apart. So God created you know in the beginning in the beginning God created heaven and earth and He created seven days. All days were clean. All days He said this this is good. But he set one day apart. He set down. In fact, the only day that he gave a name to was was the Sabbath, which we call you know Saturday. All the other days didn't have a name. Day one, day two. But the, all the days were good. All the other days were clean. Well, God wants to sanctify us. Whenever people are born, you know, uh, you know, we are we are clean until that day of accountability. And it's, but but we when we become born again, we are sanctified. We are given a new name. In fact, we'll get a new name. You know, in the Book of Revelation. Uh, we are sanctified. We are set apart. So if you're born again, then we are set apart. We need to allow God to set apart. We need to show that God, you know, has set this day and given us a new name. And, set, and, and so we can be a light of all the other days that we can glorify day, you know, that day. Because that's what the Sabbath was, was glorifying God on the Sabbath, showing that he, that he was, you know, the most high God. Showing that he was, you know, uh, the, the God worthy of our, you know, respect and God worthy of our obedience and God worthy of the honor of our mouth and the praise of our lips and the and the glorification and, and and so forth so we want to be saved through the same kind of work of the spirit and through belief in the truth believe and continue to believe in the truth so let's hop skip and jump down to verse 16 in chapter 2 oh no let's go to verse 7 uh, 17 so encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and words another phrase I like to pull up here encourage your hearts well, you know our hearts need encouraged scripture over and over says fear not but be of good courage but what if you're not a good courage you need encouragement right you need more courage to go forth our hearts need courage the scripture talks about in the end times that many strong men's hearts will fail them you know well how's a how's a strong heart fail you because they don't have the courage and i used to think that was just you know fear of Fear and just having heart attacks, but now I'm seeing more and more. That's also I uh, can you can also throw suicide in in that thing. The people's uh, strong hearts are failing them and committing suicide. I mean, look how many police officers are commit suicide. I mean, they have great courage, you know, to go out and and face our society the way it is. And our and, and military people going over and fighting battles, horrendous battles, you know, and and seeing destruction of flesh and just all this stuff and coming back and committing suicide. Their strong hearts are failing them. We ought to pray for them. 
Play, pray for those peacemakers. Pray for the police officers. Pray for our military. Encourage your hearts. So our hearts need to be encouraged constantly. If you see somebody who's faint of heart, we need to encourage them. Our brothers and sisters, encourage them. And strengthen you in every good word and deed. Our, our deeds and words uh, words need to be strengthened. How many times have you tried to give an encouraging word, but it didn't come off very strong because you need it encouraged? And the word of God is the one who... who who strengthens our deeds and our words because we have no strength in our flesh our flesh cannot carry out the will of God our flesh cannot carry out the kingdom of God your the flesh itself cannot carry out what God's call in your life so we need to be strengthened in every good word every good deed and words so we need to stir ourselves in the gift of God we need to get into the word of God we need to get in the presence of God we need to get around fellow believers and strengthen and and you know encourage one another so we're ready for every good deed and word. And the Old Testament talks about somebody giving birth, but they didn't have strength, you know, to give birth. How many times have we been there? How many times that God told you to do something, you believed and believed, but the day when it came to do it, you didn't have the strength to get it done because we got to stay in the word of God. You know, God just doesn't fill us up and zip us up. You know, faith is now, a lot of things that God is now. When God gave manna, he gave it, it's only good for that day. So we need to be renewed in spirit and strengthened in spirit every single day. We need to, you know, be in the presence of God and be in the presence of the kingdom of God and in the presence of people so that we can be strengthened and strong for every day. So when it comes to give birth to a new thing, when God decides to do a new thing in our life, that we are ready and that we can cross that threshold, cross that line and go into the new season, a new calling God has called us to that's some good stuff. Let's hop, skip, and jump into chapter 3 in 2 Thessalonians. It says, finally, brothers. So that's where a lot of ministers get, you know, their closings. <laughs> uh, finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. So we need to be praying for those out there who are ministering, praying for the missionaries, praying for those who are on the front line, that um, that the message may spread rapidly, may spread quickly, and be honored. What's what it mean, be honored? It means be received. You know, if you don't receive something, then you don't honor it. But if you do receive it, then it is honored. So as the gospel gets, you know, gets preached, we want to pray that it's honored, not just, you know, a lot of people just, you know, are just expecting, you know, people not to receive it. In fact, all of us do it at some point. How many times you felt like telling somebody the gospel, but you didn't because you didn't think receive it, which means you rejected it on their behalf. You didn't even let them opportunity to reject it. And many times we think that way. But if we start praying this way, that, that the word of God will be rapidly spread and honored, the more we're going to think, you know, the more we're going to see salvation, the more we're going to see people receive it and, and so forth. We need to expect there's a lot of people that want to be saved, even though we don't see anything on the outside that says they do. Nobody saw Saul of Tars Tarsus become Paul the Apostle. Nobody saw that coming. You know, and especially since he was the one prosecuting and persecuting and delivering people up for death and delivering people in prison, there probably wasn't anybody brave enough to go tell him the gospel. But we ought not to be that way being born again. We ought to be able to be strong in spirit and ready to do any good work and, and not to uh, reject the gospel for somebody else's sake because of our perception. We need to let you know, them decide, you know, that they want to have life and death. Verse 2, and it says, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. That's something I pray for uh, people all the time. Uh, I receive the voice of the martyrs, and, and I pray for people in North Korea. I pray for ch people in China, India, and Africa. I pray for missionaries. I pray for families who are being born again. That they're delivered from wicked and evil men. That they know that the gospel is not uh, you know, kept back, but, and, and they're not silenced, but they keep continuing to preach the gospel. It says, and, and for not everyone has faith. The scripture says, you know, God has given everybody the measure of faith. If you're born again, you're given the measure of faith. You know, uh, 
of, of, of knowing Jesus Christ and receiving that, you know, because all of God is in a seed form. And so if you're born again, you receive all that God has in the seed. And so whatever you do, that seed depends on how much faith that you have. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how much you're going to water that seed, how much you're going to listen and so forth. But not everybody has faith. Not everybody believes in Jesus Christ. So we want to be, you know, ask God to deliver people. You know, in fact, scripture, scripture talks about if you're being persecuted, then go to the next town. You know, and that, and that goes to say, if you're trying to talk to somebody and they're not receiving it and they start persecuting you and the Lord tells you to leave, you need to leave. It's time to move on. That can be a hard thing to do. And now there's other people that just want to leave as soon as somebody just gives them a wrong spatial expression. And we shouldn't be doing that either. God warned Jeremiah says, don't look at their faces because you can't tell, you know, somebody's face if they're receiving it or not. They may under be conviction or they may be under con condemnation. Many times you can't tell if it's conviction or condemnation. So you just got to wait for the result. <laughs> okay, let's hop, skip, and jump because we're running out of time here. The verse 6, it says, We command you, brothers, to keep away from... Uh, we command you. When's the last time your pastor stood in front of the congregation and commands you to do something? Uh, if, if he probably did that in our society, many people would walk. But that's part of the gospel. If Paul's doing that, you know, we should be doing that too. But Paul says... You know, I'm, you know, I'm called by God. I'm not called by man. And so I'm, you know, I don't want to displease you, but I'm going to make sure that I obey the will of God. And all of us are going to be called, be worthy of our calling. We've got to honor God. We command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle. Now that's tough. You know, Paul talks about other places, keep away from people who are engaged in sexual adultery or idolatry or all this kind of stuff. But he's talking about even staying away from those who are idle, those who are not doing anything for the kingdom of God, those who just come to church but are not giving back any way, way or form. And if you're, you know, a new believer, then there might be seasons and times of, you know, giving fruit. Jesus gave a parable about a fig tree, about not having any fruit after three years in, in the in the, in the caretaker was in there and says, well, give me another year and I'll throw some you know, manure on there. And, and if it bears figs, you know, great. If it doesn't, then we'll tear it up. So there is a time that you may not have any fruit. This fruit. But but he's talking about those who are, who are idle or not even trying to bear fruit, you know, and, and does not uh, and does not live according to the teaching. When they come to church, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe that teaching. Well, I don't believe that preacher. Well, then why do you continue to go? Why do you continue to go to somebody that you're not believing? Just because it's a religious, you know, obligation you do? Let's, let's just go hop, skip, and jump because I haven't got too much time, time left. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Once again, there's another thing. You know, can you imagine your pastor telling you, you need to follow my example? If you did that, many times we call him holier than thou. Who do you think you are? You're just like us. You know, and many preachers are saying that, you know, don't follow me. And I, I guess I'd kind of fall in that category because I don't feel quite worthy, you know, of that, of that either. And, and Paul certainly was, I guess you could call more spiritual, more along his line of a maturity in Christ than I am for me to say something like that. But we need to get to the point that, that we're following God with all our soul and all our mind, all our strength, and, you know, and ever so much that so we can tell people to follow our example because we know we're not going to fail, not because we put our trust in our, in, in our boundaries or in our flesh, but because we trust God so much that we know that he's going to watch over us and correct us before we can even fall. And just hop, skip, and jump down to the end of verse, or I'll just go to verse 10 in chapter 3. For even when we were with you, you um, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. So if you want to where that is, that's where it is. It doesn't say that if a man uh, cannot work, he will not eat, 
or if you know if he's uh, if something happens or or he's got to change careers but it says a man who will not work somebody who doesn't want to work somebody who's lazy somebody who wants to be on government assistance and i'm not condemning anybody who's on government assistance but you god created you to work god has given you ability and even though that maybe you not be able to do the career you once did god has got something else for you you can be retrained you can be re-educated god has something way more better for you so 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 that you can but it says those who refuse to work those who are lazy those who want to you know bum off somebody else they shall not they will not eat as we're moving more and more into socialism not only society but the church of and uh, i probably better not get into that right now uh, so let's hop skip and jump to verse 13 it says as for you brothers never tire of doing what is right why would paul tell us to never tire of doing what is right because you can get tired, especially when you're not seeing the result, especially when you keep pouring out your life and, you know, on somebody and, and, and all that you've gone through and somebody hoping that they'll change, hoping they receive and they seem to take it with joy, but they never change. The scripture talks about the word of God being sown and they receive it with joy, but the roots, you know, but they have no root in them. And when the sun comes up, it just burns it away. And so, so we can get tired that people are not receiving. We get tired of society. That society keeps going one way, even though we keep giving so much and so forth. So it says, never tire of doing what is right. Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 14. At the end of verse 14, there's a phrase, that he may feel ashamed. That he may feel ashamed. You know, we live in, a, once again, a society where we're telling everybody not to feel ashamed. And certainly, God does not want us to be condemned. God convicts, but he doesn't condemn. God doesn't want us to feel ashamed. Shame does not work the righteousness of God. The anger of God does not work the righteousness of God. But there is there is shame. Shame does have a point. And, and we don't, if we don't allow somebody to feel their pain, we don't always allow somebody to see the situation and feel ashamed, they may not come back. They may not return to do what is right. They may not be sanctified. They may not return to the Lord. So there is a place in time if somebody refuses to repent, if somebody refuses to see the truth, then we need to leave them to themselves. We need to leave them to their shame and so forth. Um, well, there's a whole lot more I want to say there, but we're doing a hop, skip, and jump. We're not doing a whole full teaching on anything. So, so I want to get you a hunger and thirst for the Word of God. And it ends in here, verse 18. It says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace is the power to overcome. First thing people think of is the grace is, uh, is, is um, a favor, favor of God. And it certainly is. But I want you to think the grace is, the first definition of the grace is the power to overcome. You look in the dictionary on different words. You usually have, you know, descriptions of what that word is. One, two, or three, or four, or five, six, whatever, and move on. But the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the power to overcome, our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you all. The power to overcome. AdultBabaStories.com.